There truly is no one like our Lord. Um, songs like that, when I think about holy, I think about a God who's set apart, which means there is no one like him. He's perfect. He's pure. And then that same word for holy tr- comes down to earth, and that same word is given to people called saints, the holy ones. And I hear stuff like that. I'm like, but, but, but I know me. I'm not holy But God is making us, not only through the blood of Jesus, you perfectly holy when he looks at you because he sees his son, though your sins are many, he's actually transforming you to be conformed to that image with the life you have here on earth. And then face to face, he will change you and glorify you and give you a new body and, and let you reign with him and you will experience both the positional holiness and the practical holiness of ruling and reigning with him for all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. No person, no program, no one that's ever come before or will ever come after will be able to do that for you, which is why he is worthy of our praise and adoration above anyone or anything else. He gets the proper place in our life. Hey, we are going to pray, but I want to update you on some of the things we've specifically been praying for. Todd is still in Pennsylvania. We're still praying for him and his family. Uh, Hospice is still with his mom, and they are still in the process of waiting for her to pass. And we we all can, in some ways, relate to and sympathize with how hard this process is. So we're going to pray uh, for Todd. But I also want to update you on a prayer that there is a a big praise, but, but still revolves some prayer. You may have heard through the week we were praying for a man named Jack Boovey, which is Trent's uh, dad. Trent and Mandy, if you haven't met them, I actually believe they're, they're serving in kids' ministry right now. Um, his dad got in a bad car accident uh, past weekend, a point where he, they didn't think he was going to make it. Broke many bones, uh, internal bleeding. They had to put him on a ventilator, and we have been praying constantly ever since. Maybe you got the, uh, the email that went out or the urgent prayer request that went out. Maybe you saw it on Facebook. If you didn't hear about it, you're hearing it about it now. And the the good news is is that he's been able to come off the ventilator and has since been able to wake up and even been able to walk with a walker and he's doing well. He's progressing. They're still worried about pneumonia. They're hoping that something like that isn't developing and he's in a lot of pain and there's still some progress. So we are going to bow our heads, uh, bend the knee, and pray for Todd and his family, and also pray that God would continue uh, to protect Jack and heal him through this time. Let's pray. (sighs) Heavenly Father, you are our God. You are worthy, and we are not worthy. Um, At any moment, we're all very much aware Uh, of our sin and our shortcomings, our failures, our weakness, the fact that you love us like you do unconditionally and shower us with mercy that's new every morning. God, let that fill our hearts because the enemy wants no part of our hearts rejoicing in your love over us, but will continue to accuse us and slander us. Remove his voice and help us to hear yours. God, I pray now for Todd, his dad, his brothers, the whole family, his mom. God, if it's your will to take her, you would take her uh, gently and peacefully, quickly. We know that there's still a chance that you could heal and bring a miracle. If that be your will, let it be done. But in this process of, of life that happens to all of us, it's appointed for man to die once. Would you just help them? We're lifting up and interceding, trying to do our part 
as priests in this royal priesthood to intercede for one another. So God, be with them and help them. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for hearing the prayers of your people over Jack. God, I pray that you would bring him through this this, uh, worry of pneumonia, that it would not be that, and you would help him to continue to progress and and heal, and you would take uh, the pain away, let that subside over the pain that comes from having many parts of the body just hurt and broken. And God, I pray you continue to be with Mandy and Trent and the rest of the family as they have all experienced a very tiresome week. Give them strength and keep their eyes, keep our eyes on you. And Father, my mind in this even goes to thinking about Carla dealing with a kidney stone, Kevin dealing with a kidney stone, many in this church who are hurting with many other physical things, even cancer, that you'd lift their hearts, protect them, heal them, um, let them feel your comfort both from you and from your people during this time. And God, we look to you for all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Be with us as we open your word, open our hearts and minds to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Kids, I believe it's time for you to be like a rush of wind. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, we are finishing up our series calibrated today, and I promise the Christmas sermons are coming. Um, technically, every, every week is like a Christmas sermon because we're talking about the one who's worthy of talking about. We will have a specific series for the next two weeks. We'll be in the book of Micah, Micah chapter five for Christmas. Very excited about that. So here's what we're gonna do. Maybe you're turning, maybe you're getting there, but I I want everyone just to kind of pause for a second. Take your hands and want you to hold them out like this. You're looking down at your hands and I want you to begin to fill your hands with uh, the things that you know. You know, maybe, maybe other people do not know this, maybe people do, but between you and the Lord, you know the, the things in your life that bring shame and guilt. I see them in your hands right now. Whether it's a father with his anger as he reflects on how he's treated his kids and his wife, whether it's a, a mom who's reflecting over how she's treated her kids or her husband, whether it's a child or a teenager who's thinking about how disrespectful and rebellious they've been to their parents and the, the sin that they're still hiding and they're covering, the things that they're indulging in, whether it's the uh, life of addiction and drunkenness that you've wasted so many years in, whether it's the, the pornography that's still always at attack, it's there in the isolation, it's still coming at you, it's still, still there, something that you feel like you'll never win, you'll never be able to be everything there in your hands as you think about your life and you think about the things that would bring guilt and shame and God knows every single one of them the things that you've forgotten God knows it he dwells in the secret place and we are going to die one day the scripture says it's appointed for man to die once and after this comes judgment all of these things that make us the type of people who are deserving of punishment Every single one of those things, past, present, and future. Jesus Christ came into the world. His body was broken and his blood was shed and sin was defeated. That means everything that you hold in your hand that the enemy tries to constantly remind you of has been dealt with, as Hebrew says, once for all. 
For the blood of bulls and goats are not powerful enough to take away sins, but once Jesus died and every single thing in your life that still plagues you, that's still this, the work of the flesh that, in, that comes into your mind and says you're not worthy, God doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, he's given up on you, your mer- the mercies are not new every morning for you because this is the 50 billionth time that you've struggled with this and here you are again. You think you're saved? That's the voice of the slanderous, accusing devil. And Jesus has dealt with every single one of those things. He's cast those things as far as the east is from the west. When it says that sin has been defeated, that means its power over you is gone. And what is the power of sin? It is death. The sting of death. We don't have to worry about death. Though these bodies will die, we're actually promised in 1 Corinthians that death is the last enemy to be defeated and he will be done with once and for all. So though our bodies will die, it does not mean that the sting and the power of death remains on you because the salvation of the Lord has reached you and you have been forgiven completely, 100%. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. John says that his grace has come into your life, grace upon grace, and it hits you all the time. Paul says in Romans that his grace is greater than your sin, and when your sin abounds, abounds, you hear that word? When your sin is in your life plaguing you, guess what abounds more than that? The grace of God. The power of sin has already been destroyed. Why do you say this, Jasper? Because when we talk about being a church that works, not for salvation, because of salvation, and these things have been done with, we can now be a church who, despite the accusations of the enemy, can be used by God to help heal and save a dying world. I want that. You want that. God wants that for his people. And if there's anyone here this morning, you look at the things in your hand and you know in your heart these things have not been dealt with because your whole life has been running from this truth that maybe you just keep hearing, just keeps popping up in your life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You do not have to wait. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. In faith, you surrender your life to Jesus and in believing salvation comes to you instantly and you walk with him the rest of your days so as we turn to Titus chapter 3 and we conclude talking about a church that works we remember the pinnacle reason why we work why we do what we do is because of what he has already done for us calibrated a church that works Think about things that don't work. Think about using a plastic fork on a New York strip. Anybody want to be in that situation? Anybody want that? I tell you what, you'll, you'll use your hand and your teeth to enjoy that, but you will be very frustrated by that sound of that thing breaking in the moment. You ever had a microwave not work? Now this is bad, this is bad. You ever try to pop popcorn in the microwave, something about it's not working? I, I figured something out the other day, like the plate that spins in the middle, like the microwave was missing that. Someone smarter than me can tell me why I experienced this. But I would put the popcorn in on just the little 
thing that would rotate, just set it right there so it's balancing on the little turning knob in the middle. And I watched it turn on. I watched it spin. The microwave wouldn't pop. I mean, like four would pop. And I'm like, what is going on? I put the plate in. And then it worked. It had everything it needed. But the frustration of the microwave just not making the popcorn, you know? You're trying to watch a movie with my daughters, you know? And it's just frustrating. It's not functioning as it should. You know, a church that works is kind of like a double entendre. It's, it's, and it's working, it's productive, it's acting, but it's also functioning like it should. And as we've learned in Titus, it requires all of us. From the top down, from the leaders to the men, to the women, to the children, all of us being surrendered to God for this unique, unified purpose of being conformed to the image of his son so that we can help a lost and dying world. So we're concluding, and we're going to the last remarks of Titus. These are like the parts of the, the epistles and the books of the Bible where like they're concluding their letters, and we kind of just read them and gloss over them. So it's like, how are we going to have a sermon today with this? But I want us to see some things. We're going to see some things today. So let's read it, and then we'll jump into what we're going to look at as we conclude our calibrated series. Titus chapter 3, drop down to verse 12, and let's see how Paul ends his letter. We're going to read it. Paul says, when I send... Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So here's what we're going to see today. Three concluding observations that we as a church should keep in mind as we continue on this journey together of being a calibrated church. It's kind of a long heading, but I believe it makes sense there. Just three observations from this concluding remark that we want to keep in mind as we continue to let God sanctify us calibrate us, or in other words, make us the people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The first one is this, first observation. The church's good work is done by people, not a person. The church's good work is done by people, not a person. He concludes and he says this in verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, What does this tell us? It reminds us that this is a letter from the past that Paul wrote and he sent to a person. He's talking to Titus. That's why the book is called Titus because it's a letter to him. He's given him all of these instructions and now at the end, he's letting him know some things. So we get to do a little bit of deductive work to figure out what he's talking about here. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, so he's trying to figure out who he's going to send To do what? To probably relieve him. And we know to relieve him because he says this. Do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. We have to do do some imagination, right? Because we're going back 2,000 years. And we have to put ourselves in the position of the people who do not have the technology that we have. So you have Paul, he has to write a letter, physical copy, it has to be sent, 
in the hopes that it would make it to Titus, who he, he knows from however long ago that he left on the island of Crete to do a certain work. He doesn't know if Titus is still alive or not, still there. Okay, but he's in good faith writing this letter, probably uh, gives it as we find out to Zenos or Apollos, as we're gonna find out later, who take the letter to Titus and he's leaving him these instructions. And so Titus is figuring out like, okay, my instructions are this. Uh, 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 Artemis or Tychicus are going to come and relieve me. They're gonna take my place so I can go meet Paul in Nicopolis. So you have all of these locations in the Middle East because Paul's decided to spend the winter there. You see Paul moving all the time. But winter comes, things slow down, he's gonna put boots on the ground and he wants Titus there. We know from the scriptures that Titus was a great close companion of Paul, Timothy as well, and some of these other guys as well. We don't, uh, we don't really know who Artemis is, so we can't even surmise. Tychicus, we've heard mentioned before throughout the letters as someone who traveled with Paul, but we know these are trusted men. I mean, think about this. I mean, think about this type of ministry work. And don't forget the point. It's not just Paul doing this work. Paul cannot do it alone. He needs others working together. Jesus started with the 12, but it wasn't just him. He had to end out sending, he sent multiple times people out. Then he sent the 12 out as the, the, those who would stand in Jesus' place in a unique position of authority, just like Jesus, who would begin the church's work, but it always be being passed down for others because we have to work together. The work has to be done by people. It can't be done by a person or just a few. All of us are in this work together, this good work of devoting our life to what God would want. All of it under the heading of the gospel so that others can hear it. All of it purposefully unified under this. Paul needed these men to work together and he wanted Titus with him. So Titus then has to what? Once uh, Artemis or Tychicus gets there, he has to then figure out how he's gonna leave and how he's gonna make it overseas to Nicopolis. And then, then he has to end up finding Paul there. It'd probably be easier to find because he'd be in one of the synagogues as was his custom all the time, Paul in the synagogues preaching. But here's the instructions. But our observation from this is like, wow, it takes multiple people to get this work done. You know, what was Titus's job? Titus's job wasn't go into these churches and do this. What was his instruction? Do you guys remember what his, instru- his first instruction was? You can say it. Someone can say it. You don't have to raise your hand. You can just say it. Who said it? Appoint elders. Appoint elders. You can't do it alone, Titus. So you need to go find men who can, multiple, plural, and they need to be appointed because you cannot do it alone. And then what are these elders doing? They're then doing the work, same work, discipleship. It's all discipleship. Interesting observation, right? The church's work is done by all of us, not just one of us. Now, there's a, a popular saying in the world or in our culture, right? 80% of the work is done by what? Oh, I've heard 10%. I heard 20%. Do we know exactly what the number is? No, but the point is most of the work is done by least of the people. What did Jesus say about the harvest? What did he say? It's what? The harvest is, starts with the P, rhymes with glentiful. (laughs) The harvest is 
plentiful. Do you know what that means? That means there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of work to be done. But the laborers are few. This is a law. This, this is what's indicative. So this isn't something that's like unique to any church at any time. This is something that's always going to feel like there's always more work to be done than there are laborers. In the beginning of the new year, probably around the end of January, February, we're going to start a series in 1 Corinthians. We're going to begin, our plan is to begin, Lord willing, right in chapter 12, because we want to continue this, this type of teaching and preaching and equipping of our church, right? So you've heard this letter from Titus as emphasizing the need to be calibrated. First Corinthians is talking to a church and specifically about each one being uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to work and what our focus should be as a church. So t- stay tuned for that. But that's coming because it's so important for us to do this work that Paul has left pastors to do, to equip, to help you know and to see that you are important and valuable. And God not only can, but will use you and wants to. I'm going to bring it personal here at the end to our church. And it's good things, so don't worry. Do you see this, Europe? Do you see the observation of the work of Paul starting back 2,000 years ago, but yet here we are today where we can pass these books that seem like routine and whatever, but you can write your name down and it can immediately be organized in a way to where we're able to get a hold of anyone at any time through means of technology that they probably couldn't even have fathomed. It's almost like we're in a time now where we have even more responsibility because of the ability that we have to be able to work together. We shouldn't neglect it. The world, Jesus even talks about the, 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 uh, those who are in darkness are far more zealous about their dark, evil work than the children of light are. Should convict us. Why? because we have so much opportunity and ability to be able to work together to do the work. That wasn't a plug to sign the book. That was an example. <laughs> Just an example. We, we, QR codes, what? Strangest thing that you could take your phone and just like, and it sends you somewhere to give you information or connect you and link you with people. It's crazy the abilities that we have that God would redeem and use, much like he's as, as flight became possible in the past and now missionaries have have used the technology of knowing how to fly to be able to reach the ends of the world even faster all of these things that are happening it's all part of god's creation as man's figuring out and its purpose was to be used and to be redeemed by the church of god for the sake of saving people because people are lost and dying and he wants to use you to accomplish that work So the first observation is the work is done by people, not a person. What's the application here? I think it's pretty obvious. At least all of us, all together in a mindset, you know what? It's not him on the stage. It's not the person over there. It doesn't matter what stage of life I'm at. God wants to use all of us. And we all have the unified belief that it takes all of us. 
Wherever you are at individually in your life, whether you have to work through hearing the gospel and hearing the words of God in your heart and mind over the enemy or over your own thoughts that you've, you've trained yourself to listen to that would, that would put yourself in a place where you're, you, you never feel like you can be used. Either way, God's trying to pierce through to show you, hey, the more that you devalue yourself and make yourself weak, I like to use the weak and beggarly things of the world. So the more you do that to yourself, the more I want to use you. You can't get away no matter who you are. I want to use you. And I can. The second observation is this. The church's devotion to good works, which has been the exhortation throughout this study, is being devoted, eager, ready, does not happen overnight. Look what he says here next. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All right, let's work through it. Let's make sure we understand this part. He mentions two other people. He says, once these guys come and they relieve you, then the two who are with you Zenos and Apollos, speed them, hurry them on their journey and see that they lack nothing. Zenos the lawyer, we don't really know who that is, we just know he's a lawyer. Paul likes to refer to people by their occupations, Luke the physician, Zenos the lawyer, but obviously he's someone who's a part of the church and useful and effective and productive and fruitful for the ministry, and Paul wanted him to be sped along, along with Apollos, who we do know a little bit about. You go to the book of Acts in chapter 18, and you find this guy Apollos who's standing up and he's preaching and you have Aquilus and Priscilla who are Christians who know the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're hearing this guy preach mightily the gospel. But the issue is Apollos only knew of the baptism of John, which means he knew repent for the forgiveness of sins and he was baptizing people, but he didn't have the full knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus and all of these things. And so they took Apollos to the side and it says they explained to him further the things that he was lacking to make the gospel that he was preaching complete. And then he became a super powerful evangelist and speaker for the church. I mean, the Bible goes out of its way to talk about how Apollos was a very eloquent, powerful speaker and how he was able to, like an apologist, rebuke all of the Jews and the Pharisees who would argue against them, and he, re- he argued that Christ was the Messiah from the scriptures, Acts 18 through 19. And so you see that happening, and now here in Titus, many years later, as Paul's ending his life, you see Apollos is still a part of that work. Men, dedicating and devoting themselves to giving up a life of of being missionaries and traveling and those in the church like Aquila and Priscilla who are just there in the opportunity taking someone aside just to explain even further the gospel and just that little explanation set this guy on a journey to be a powerful evangelist and worker. But look here what he says. He says, speed them alone, and then he says this, see that they lack nothing. These men have a journey ahead of them, a type of journey that we can't understand. Maybe the way we understand it is if we were to like go on a backpacking trip into, into the woods, 
we can still take GPS with us, but, but then we get a little sense of like, man, I really need to be prepared because I'm out in the woods miles away and there's lots of danger. That's, that's getting a little close to what traveling would have been like for these men and they did it all the time. Constantly putting themselves in a, I'm gonna travel, don't even know if I'm gonna make it to the other side, but it's worth doing, I'm gonna trust God. But it was necessary that they had supplies. And so Paul says, see that they lack nothing. And look what he says to Titus. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. And then he further explains it. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. In the book of Titus, you have two descriptions of good works. The first that we've seen has been the good work of being a type of person, right? The elder is qualified. A life that's conformed in character to the image of Christ. And then husbands and wives and older men, younger men, slaves, servants, the type of person they are to be, which is where good works begin. The good work of letting your life be conformed to the image, denying yourself, picking up your cross daily and following Jesus. That means you step where he stepped or you step where he would step. Your life has been laid down for him and his purpose. And his purpose is others. But this devotion to good work has to be learned. It does not happen overnight, which is, which is a good thing because that means God's very patient with us and he's not expecting you to be here where you're meant to be 10 years from now. You are here, so you start here and you progress. That's part of the problem. We actually, we get ahead of God too often. God's like, no, we're here. We're learning this lesson now. The point is what you're going through. The point is what you're experiencing. And the point is to, like Peter said in 2 Peter 1, to begin to let these trials come into your life and you begin to add character and faith and virtue and all of these good qualities that will begin to turn you into the person I want you to be. The journey is the point. With Christianity, the ends does not justify the means. The means supersedes the end. The means is the goal. And the end is up to him. And guess what his end is? You looking like his son Jesus. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. The day of Jesus Christ. It's a work that continues and you're learning it over and over and over until the day you die and you meet Jesus face to face. Does not happen overnight. But how do we learn it? opportunity and experience. And guess what? We be the church together. We, we focus on being the church, letting God conform us each individual with the same goal in mind that it's about him and I want him to change my life with patience and love for one another at different aspects of the journey. And the, the doing will present itself and we be ready and then we act. So, Churches on Crete, here's your opportunity. Two men are gonna be sent on their journey and we wanna make sure they have everything they need for that journey. See that they lack nothing. And in so they would be devoted to a good work, meeting a case of urgent need. So the church and the people are the type of people who should be looking out for the, the, uh, the most urgent of needs. James talks about real religion revolving around orphans and widows. And the church should be 
the, organi- the organization, or even better, organism on the earth that is the first and most willing to get messy and be with the most hurting and urgent cases of need in life. God forgive us when the world would do a better job at taking care of the least of these than the church would. But thank goodness over time we now have history and we can see that everything that, is, that seems to be taken care of, from hospitals to orphanages, seem to have their origin in Christianity. What a beautiful good work that has, is being shined into the world. And the enemy hates it and he'll do everything he can to snuff it out. That continues with us. This work does not happen overnight. You will not be Jesus overnight. You have the patience and the mercy of God. He wants you to learn it one step at a time, one day at a time. And hopefully that feels encouraging to you, right? Because sometimes we are debilitated and stifled and we do nothing because we're so aware of how far we have to go. No, no, no. The journey is the point. Let God take you on it. Take it one step at a time. And then we work together, keeping our eyes out to help meet cases of urgent need amongst one another. Final observation is this. The church's greatest trait, let's keep this in mind, is our love for one another. He ends the letter like this. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So Paul, in his letter to Titus, he mentions to Titus, I want you to know that people who are with me, they've made a point to where I want, they want you to know that they love you, they greet you, they're thinking about you, they're praying for you. We send greetings. And then Paul himself said, greet those who love us as well. And then he says, grace be with you all. A salutation ends the letter, it's sent. And I wonder if Paul had any idea that 2,000 years later, a church in West Michigan on the other side of the world would be reading this letter and, and growing from it. How cool is this? The church's greatest trait is its love for one another. Jesus said in John 13 that the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. We all know in the scriptures, maybe you don't know, but if but if you don't, you're learning it now. There are multiple words for love. We have one word. The scripture has multiple words that are really good at describing it. Agape is like the greatest one that we like put up and it's like the, the love of God that's like undeserved that he just pours out freely on us. This word here is phileo. So we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's the idea that there's affection that can be seen. It's not just in theory. It's seen and it's felt. It's the brotherly affectionate type of love that he's sending I love you, I genuinely love you and care for you and, be, and, and I'm willing to show that and manifest that in any way possible. The greatest trait that we have, church, is our love for one another. So much so that even John reiterates that this is how you know that someone's not a Christian because they do not love us. They do not love one another. They do not have a love for others. The greatest commandment is to love God and the second is to love others as yourself. 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to go through, talks about all these wonderful works that someone could devote their life to. I mean, giving up everything to meet the needs of the poor, but then Paul says, if they have not love, it's worthless. Laying down their life and giving up their body to be burned 
But if they have not love, it means nothing. At the end of it, he talks about three things. Faith, hope, which are like we sing about these things all the time. The church, literally our hearts are invigorated by the the living hope that we're anticipating that's coming. Our faith, which is what saves us. And God uses our faith to guard our salvation, to reveal it to us in the last days. And and with faith, all things will be possible. Faith, hope, and love. And then the greatest of these is love. It's like God is saying, like, this is, this is how you know that I'm with you and among you is by your love for one another. And the world's going to know it because of your love for one another. You're, you're laying down of yourself and making the person next to you or across from you more important than anything else in life, especially more important than yourself. The, the gospel and following in Jesus is all about self-denial. It's all about I'm last, everyone else is first. And when we come to Jesus We all are born and naturally in the I'm first, everyone else watch out. That is the way the world lives. I am first, everyone else watch out. And the world can't even do good works without flaunting it to show people how good they are, right? Because it doesn't even come from a place of love. That's all of us. What? And, And such, you yourselves were this way as well. But God came and he showed you what true love is. And not only has shown you that, but let you, given that to you, you've experienced it and now empowered you and is changing you to be that person for everyone else around you. Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your enemies, everyone. And God wants you to trust him that when I say, man, like, let your life be conformed to me and just trust it's gonna change the world. I'm gonna give you the opportunities and when they come, you jump on them. You be ready for good works. But the good work of being and letting me change you and calibrate you is the first ultimate work that should continue the rest of your life. All those who are with me, send greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Faith, open love, but the greatest of these in love. Our greatest trait is our love for one another. Just a few observations from the ending of the book of Titus. So now let me bring it, let me bring it home to Summit Church. I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like there's this, this spirit or this sense that as we've gone through this series, it's, the tendency is that it's this great rebuke and exhortation that we're missing it and we need to live up to what we're hearing. And in a way, that's always true. The, the scripture's always giving the ideal and the perfect that we're looking to, the summit, right? And we're all going towards it. And so there can be this overwhelming feeling like I'm missing it, I don't have it, I've got to, you know, that's, here it is, another sermon where I've just got to do better, I've got to do better. I want to take a few seconds to do what Scripture says and that's honor one another because when I think about our church, Summit Church, and I especially I work it backwards and I think about meeting cases of urgent need, this church is ready to do that and has proven that ever since that I've been here. It blows my mind. I, I, know, I know and totally confident that if I were to stand right here and say, hey, listen, we got a bucket and there's this urgent need in this church, even if you didn't know the person personally and they have a cost that needs to be met, you would come and you would fill this bucket and they would have more money than they even needed to take care of that urgent need. Not a doubt in my mind would happen. COVID came around. We stood up and through a TV, we let people know, hey, we know this is coming. It was at the beginning when we didn't know what was gonna happen. 
We could see like, man, jobs are shutting down. We anticipate there will be people in our church who won't have jobs, won't have money, won't have abilities to pay rent, won't have abilities to feed themselves. We, we anticipated that. All we said is like, church, we want to be ready to help meet these ways in a benevolent need. Would you be willing to give, to be ready to help as this comes? And within a week, I believe it was somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 this church raised just to be able to help in case there was a need. That's one of the examples. Our deacons work very hard behind the scenes to help make sure you're taken care of and they stand ready with their time, their energy, and even money that the church has given for benevolence to help you. And not just throw money at you, but to come alongside you and say, hey, what needs to change? What could help? What do you need? We want to be brotherly and sisterly here and help in the best way we can. Deacons, if you're in here, I want you to stand up. I'm sorry, you didn't expect me to do this. If you're a deacon, please stand up. The deacons are very integral. It's a part of the design of the church and very helpful for your pastors. Um, Because remember, the church is done by people, not a person. And the cultural pressure is always pastor does it. So it's very important that the pastors be able to oversee and help delegate and look out like, I can't be there like Paul. I need to send someone. Someone needs to go. The deacons stand ready to help. Do you know that we have teams of people who are just ready to make meals for people? If someone were to pass away and there was a funeral, it would be like this, and there would already be food, there would be things ready, and that gym would be filled up with volunteers and people like, like I don't even know how it happens, it just happens to be able to minister to make food for. If you have been in any way a part of helping with meals, funerals, or a part of the team that's ready to help with meals for people that are hurting, that are in the hospital and need it, would you please stand up? I'm so sorry. I know you don't want this. Would you please stand up? I just want us to see you. There's got to be someone in here. Or I guarantee, okay, yes, one here, one here, yep, here, in the back there. Not all of our elders are here right now, but if you're an elder, stand up. These four men meet every Tuesday and we spend like three hours together starting at seven o'clock to, to pray over and talk about the needs of the church. It's been like that every single Tuesday. So now you can imagine what it's like to have not only that time investment, but to be 24-7 always on a, a group text message, always aware of the needs and the problems, and then always, always aware of the needs of the church, the problems of the church, the scrutiny of the church, and all of those things that are happening and you're feeling it all the time and you still have your own family, your own job, and all of those things that work out with them, they're doing it for free because they love you. It's a good work. And the church needs men like this. You know, 2015, a interesting partnership with the mission happened. And it's been about eight years now. And one thing that we hoped for, but it, was, it wasn't like we were going for it. We just wanted to be a part of the Holland Rescue Mission, both in giving our, our chapel services and helping and, and, and loving on the men and women down there 
and help being part, we're doing what we can, but we didn't foresee that we would, we would end up creating this partnership to where, you know, Rachel, you can speak to it. There's this, this intimate relationship between our church and the mission that's, that's unique. That, that makes me extremely proud to, to be able to, to know that the rescue mission who's filled with our brothers and sisters who are doing a very good work to meet cases of urgent need, that it has no government help, that's totally, uh, totally uh, exists through the giving of the people in the community. And it's 100% based off trying to get the gospel to people so they can see your real problem is what's happening in your heart and sin needs to be dealt with and you need to meet Jesus. But beyond that, to help you also with the other areas of your life and it's a 24-7 ministry that is, that is happening all the time. And I've worked there. The work does not end. I'm proud to be part of a church that loves a ministry like that and is a part of it like that. I'm gonna keep going. We put this disc golf course because we wanted to steward our community. We wanted to steward our time and our energy, but our place, we didn't foresee what would happen, but we knew we wanted someone to be able to come alongside this ministry, this disc golf course, and, and do ministry in it, who loved it, who knew it. We just prayed. Like when it first opened and we opened it up to the community. We had three people who've been here since the beginning that have been serving here faithfully, that have been very busy with the disc golf ministry, that are constantly working, putting on events, who, who actually have, were already in Christian disc golf ministry. Can you believe that? I actually think that they're serving. So they're actually busy working in the kids' ministry. But one of, one of Chad or Al or Leah may be in here. If you are, would you stand up? If you're not, I believe it's because you're busy serving. Al. Al, thank you. We prayed for you guys and God dropped you in our lap and you, have, you guys have been a breath of fresh air. You, Chad, and Leah, we love you. But here's what I know. You guys always need help, don't you? Yes. Maybe you're like, you know what? I just wanna be available for them if they need some type of work. You, you come to Al, you come to Chad or Leah, you let them know, hey, make me a part of the team that when you do an event and you need helping hands, I'm there, I'm ready to be devoted to it. And they'll do these uh, uh, youth junior tournaments Wonderful opportunity. They always have chapel beforehand and people from all around the world come and they sit in our, our, our youth building over there and we get to present the gospel. It's a wonderful, beautiful opportunity. Thank you, Al. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Leah. So there's more of this coming. We're gonna make you more aware of some of the things that are going on. Hospitality and connections teams that's happening every Sunday, whether it's in our people greeting or it's the cafe. If you help, on, if you help in any way in connections and hospitality in any way, would you stand up? That's why they're greeting at the door, helping with coffee, helping with the child check-in. This is not small. Hospitality is a part of the characteristic of God. God wants this church to be good at hospitality. If you are a small group leader, please stand up. Now, just hearing the term small group leader is intimidating. 
And it is, it can be intimidating because it is an investment where you are basically feeling a little bit like, uh, like what a shepherd feels like, where you've got people who you feel responsible for. You're not necessarily exercising authority or being the answer person. You're not being the pastor, but you're taking on a responsibility to host and lead and to guide, and it can be very tiresome. So we pray for our small group leaders, but we need more small group leaders always harvest is plentiful many of you want small groups it's been hard to get in because we need more leaders if you help in children's ministry in any way and those who of course are back there can't do this but would you stand up if you help in children's ministry in any way thank you Now, I'm looking over here at David and Becca Silvashi. I'm sorry to call you out by name, but they've just undertaken. I've seen, they've stand, they stood up twice. Connections team, hospitality team, children's ministry, and how they've taken on the uh, undertaking of, of young adult ministry. We didn't have it for the long time, but we felt the need where there's young adults who are needing some type of connection place, and now they've undertaken that to lead that and to guide that. So we pray for them. Thank you, guys. Sam and Vicky. Vicky may not be in here. Vicky, are you in here? Is Vicky in here? I see you. Sam and Vicky, stand up real quick. Please stand up. Sorry. These two, these two came from among us. So this is not people we've like had to search for and hire from the outside. They were, they're from among us who are now dedicating their life to helping these aspects of ministry function as they should, given their time and energy and effort and have arisen to the calling and, and even have the competence to do this. We love you both. Thank you. Sam, did you know Sam's going through a master's theology course at Moody right now and the church is able to help with that? Did you know that? Probably didn't. But Sam wants to be more equipped for ministry and he's, he's not only serving and working with our youth, but he is being trained himself and we can only imagine what type of late night hours are happening with a master's course. Did you know that we have a handful of people who are dedicating themselves to meeting every Thursday night uh, to go through a very rigorous biblical counseling uh, study and equipping every Thursday night? And we're having to write essays that will be scrutinized by a, a, a doctor or certified biblical counselor who will look over these, broke up into theology essays and counseling essays. And we are finding out after the first month how uh, intense it is. And life is extremely busy and we have already begun to feel the pressure and the spiritual attack of trying to devote ourselves to that type of work. If you are involved in counseling in any way, would you stand up? Stand up, stand up. We want to be a church that counsels well. One of the things we talk about is it's not a matter if you counsel or not. Everyone's a counselor, but not everyone's a good one. And so we want God to pour into us and equip us so we can help you best like this. Offer it free and be ready to help you in any way. And of course, the uh, harvest is plentiful when it comes to people who need the Bible and they need some type of intervention into the life because sometimes life meets at the craziest times and it's drastic and it's urgent. And we need someone ready who's able and trustworthy to take the word of God and help someone with it. Would you please pray for us as we um, study every Thursday night? It's very rigorous. Um, and Marilyn Niebuhr, where are you at? She's 
She's where? She's teaching right now. Marilyn has taken it on. We're still gonna clap for her to, to pray for the team. And Marilyn is someone who just works behind the scenes and serves and helps all the time. I see her all over the place. Your mom's wonderful. We love Marilyn. So if she sees this, Lori Beltran Del Rio, would you raise your hand or stand up, whatever you feel comfortable doing. God brought her to us at a time when we were praying that we felt like we needed some type of other ministry. We were just praying about this, already looking for things that could be come alongside our counseling ministry. And she's, she has brought the Healing Hearts ministry that is very, very important. And it, it, it's something that uh, we believe in. Uh, I've been going through it myself. And, and here's what it is. It, it's these times where it is available to you uh, for very specific needs, whether you're a man or a woman. Both for man and, and women, it, the priority that Healing Heart started out with was a post-abortive ministry, post-abortive care, sitting down with people who had experienced an abortion, who had had an abortion, whether it was the, the, the mom or the dad, and, and helping them from scripture heal from that. And the, the, the statistics of people who've had an abortion are staggering. I am not, uh, I'm very aware that there's probably many in here who have that you probably never told anyone. And probably what you need to hear is there is no judgment, only healing that we would wish for you to have. And we have a ministry that's trying to grow to be able to provide that type of care for you with loving people who help take you through the scripture and see the healing power of forgiveness and love that comes from Jesus. And you will only experience people in this church who will come alongside you and love you, not judge you. But it goes beyond that. Maybe you're just a man or woman. You're like, man, I need help. I, need, I don't even know scripture. I just need some type of study. I'm just, I'm dying in my own life. And we have studies to take men and women through that will help with that. Actually, there's a table that's already out there for you to go learn more about that was set up yesterday for the concert. So you go to see Lori, you encourage her, you pray for her, and we're always looking for help along with that ministry. So go learn more about it. And then I also like to talk about Second Chance Farms. This is a ministry outside of our church, but two people who are in our church uh, do this ministry. Kevin and Carrie, would you stand up? Kevin and Carrie just stay, stood there for a little bit. Their property, their house has a farm on it. Many of you already know it, but they've, they've basically turned their property into a ministry called Second Chance Farms where they use basically horses and caring for horses and working alongside them to work with at-risk youth to one, first and primarily counsel them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to help them to learn to harness their emotions through working with horses and discipline and responsibility. And this is on their own property. Could you imagine what that's like? You go home and then you have this ministry that's very important, but also it's very laborsome and tiresome. And they're working hard. And there's many, many of you have labored alongside of them. Can we give these two who are in our church who've devoted themselves to this type of work but they're always in need. I could keep going. I have to stop. But the point I want to make is as we conclude Titus, I don't want you in any way to think that we're up here saying like, get it right. It's no, keep doing what you're doing. Do you see how God's already using people in here to work? There's so many other things that are actually going on that are on the back burner that are happening. And you're like, man, I never hear about these things. Yes, because the church doesn't let their left hand know what their right hand is doing. There's humility throughout it, but it's happening. Don't let the enemy tell you that the church of God is being defeated by the gates of Haiti. The gates of hell will never prevail against God's church. I don't care how selfish and spoiled we are. If you have the spirit inside of you, God is going to use you and his 
this church will be used together in our weakness and in our inner perfections. God will use us to save the world. And it's time for Summit Church to, to hear that, to know that, to, to get excited. And let's not be lacking in zeal, but let's, let's press on to being the people that God is wanting, redeeming us from lawlessness, making us people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Are we ready for this? I think we already are because I see it all the time. Thank you, Summit. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for the type of people you are. You're the type, like the Philippians, I know what Paul would just think. He would write a letter to you and he'd say, I thank you, I thank you all the time when I think of you. You're so loving and giving and ready. So the message is this. Let God work in your individual heart and let's continue to grow because it's not gonna happen every, overnight and we, we can still grow. And the reason we do it all is because of what God has done for us. And he's gonna use every single effort, whether small or big in our mind, to accomplish that great work of seeing people saved. So if you're here this morning, you're beginning to think, you know, I come here, I'm here physically, but I just don't know if I've ever been a part, genuinely a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing's holding it back. It can start. And let's be brothers and sisters together. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. You let him know that. You ask forgiveness of your sins and he will forgive you instantly. And you join the brotherhood, the sisterhood. And we will journey this, get this walk together, calibrated, being calibrated towards the summit. Let's pray. The heavenly father, even as I inadequately talk about all the people who are deserving of more honor, forgetting people you know, every single one of them, the people who are even working, who are helping with needs that no one else even knows about. You see them, you are the God who sees. You see every person that's hurting, that's joyful, that's confused. You're with us all and you want to help us and you do help us. Thank you so much for saving us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for giving up your only son. Now make us the people you want us to be. Continue this and be patient with us during it all. We say thank you, thank you, thank you. You are so good in Jesus' name.